Good grief, no pressure there at all. Man, I got a call last night from my good friend Ryan about 7 p.m. And I'm like, you jerk, why do you got to be sick and why you got to call? I'm kidding. We're good friends though and uh, definitely it's an honor to be able to come back and uh, serve. Last time I was here, I was walking around, hobbling around, I think with ankle problems. That left ankle replacement's doing great. And uh, I haven't, so Ryan's one of the few pastors that preaches in cowboy boots I haven't worn my cowboy boots in probably 10 years, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to North Valley. I'm going to pull, and my wife was like, please don't, and I'm like, I'm doing it, and so these were a gift from my real dad a long time ago, and it's kind of cool to wear the, yeah, cowboy boots. So anyway, uh, good to be here. I should stop messing around because I am going to fire hose feed you something that I typically do in a three-part sermon series. But it's Ryan's fault. Everything is. He called me at 7, and I'm like, Lord, what can I be preaching about? What should I cover in this short time? I feel like this is it. Get ready. I'm going to preface this. You won't take me up on it now, but lots of people at the end did after the first service. You should write down my email, and I'm going to I'll just tell you ahead of time. I'm going to ask you to send me an email. I will do nothing else with it. I will not call you. I'm not trying to do some commercial. I have no ulterior motives. I just promise you, this material is going to change your life. I don't claim it as my own. I've been taught, I was fortunate to go into the Washington, D.C. area a couple months ago, spent some time with a guy who's been in the military 29 years. He just was awarded a $200 million contract to take this material and instill it into the entire United States government because this guy's a, a commander and a leader of a military group. They do some special operations and they're seeing people that Jeff is working with come out of PTSD 100% healed. People who an hour prior to meeting with him had a nine millimeter in their mouth ready to blow their heads off. And three or four days later, after spending just a couple hours with him, are walking free. It's called identity training. This stuff, Jeff has been a Christian his whole life. He openly says, this isn't my idea. He said, this stuff's been in the Bible forever. Psychologists, clinicians, therapists, biologists, they all understand this. Why is the church, why is Christianity so slow in adopting what God's already created? The body, how it works, the brain, how it's supposed to heal. So I'm going to take us through the thing. Jeff McDaniel's been praying. He said, Trent, I've been praying for 20 years that the U.S. government would pay for its own evangelism. And they just gave him a $200 million contract to spend time starting in the bare bones. But he has five-star generals, congressmen, senators coming to him asking, can I go through your identity training? He doesn't use the word Bible. He doesn't use the word Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, be as sly as a snake and as innocent as a dove. So wherever, when he's leading people through some of this, instead of using the term Jesus, he'll use the term uh, uh, unconditional love, things like that, or unconditional truth when he's referring to scripture. And this is going all the way inside from the bare bones to the top in our United States government. And so a lot of us, we watch the news and we're like, we're all going to hell in a handbasket, right? And it's like, no, God's always at work, no matter the circus that we see going on in front of us on the news and whatever's happening in your government. No matter what you believe, you know we're in chaos. No matter which candidate you like, you know we're in chaos. Don't lose hope, all right? So let's get into this. I want to lead us through this material. Uh, I say, as, as I will, I'm going to be all over the place because I did not get the time to sit down and say, okay, how do I take this material, put it into one message, and create an outline? I just don't work that way. I need three or four days. And so this is going to be messy. 
right? The next 30 or so minutes we're going to spend together is messy, but I promise you, if you grasp it, it will absolutely have some potential. 100% of you are living, me too, in false beliefs and deal with it every day. And so we're going to walk through how do you conquer that all using scripture. I do not have time today to back up everything I'm going to say with the Bible verse, but I couldn't do it. If you would like me to, it just isn't going to happen today. So I'm asking you to trust me that Ryan did not ask some wacko who's come with some wacko ideas. We have team and trust with each other. I've been here before, and I'm not a spiritual wacko. There's some things that I've learned from Jeff and Beth McDaniel that I've been trying to teach for 33 years in full-time ministry, and I just didn't quite have the vocabulary. And Jeff and Beth helped clear the path for me a little bit, and I'm excited on that. So my email address, and ask me at the end if you, if you want to just get it. I'll be standing at Trent at Return Hope, H-O-P-E, returnhope.com. And I will send you this conflict map that I'm going to walk you through and, which I don't have time today, 13 pages of material that I typically cover in a three-part sermon series. You'll be reading through it and it'll say, end of message one. You'll know this is just my sermon material. I would love to send that to you. Do with it whatever you want. Nobody owns it but God, all right? And so let's go through this. I want to ask you a question. Before I ask the question, um, let's get this cleared up. Most Western Christianity has been taught in religion, and I remind us Jesus hates religion unless it has to do with taking care of orphans and widows. That's all religion is. Religion is supposed, true religion, the Bible tells us, is taking care of orphans and widows. All other religion is man-made tradition that Jesus is no fan of. Jesus is about a personal relationship with you. And here's the deal. If you, at a point in your life, or all of your life, have felt like, God seems so far away, I never hear him speaking to me. And I don't mean audibly. That can happen. I want to start there. Do you believe that God is good enough to speak to you audibly? I mean, he did in all of previous history, in the Old Testament, through the New Testament times. If you believe, no, he can't, uh, then you and I need to spend a little time together. But he'll speak way more clear and way more often in two places where I believe the soul resides, and I'll get to that in a minute. If I don't, remind me. Just literally raise your hand and say, hey, where do you think the soul resides? You won't offend me. This is going to be crazy for the next 30, 40 minutes. Um, back to my point. Trent at returnhope.com. Get that down, and I'll send all this material to you. Knowing, here's what religion teaches us. If I know more, I'll know better what to do. Knowing informs doing. We're missing the most critical relational step that God desires for you to know, and that's who you are. Being informs knowing, informs doing. Most of us in Christianity spend time in Bible studies, small groups, let's know, 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 know more so that we can do, 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 do more, right? And Jesus didn't make you a human knowing or a human doing, he made you a human being, his masterpiece, his choice prized in all of creation, you're his favorite. So I want to ask you a question. This deals with your being. If Jesus were to walk into this room right now and you were the only person in the room and he was carrying with him a pail of water and a servant's towel and he got down on his knees in front of you and took off your shoes, took off your socks and began to wash your feet, what are you experiencing in that moment? What are you thinking in that moment? Because it's all about who you are as a human being. 
It's going to help you begin to identify some major issues and conflict and problems in your life based on how you answer that question. When I was first asked that question, I'd never been asked that question before until two months ago. I, Jeff asked me, and I said, you know, Jeff, I think I'd say to Jesus, hold on. My God, literally, you have done so much for me. The brutal, the sacrifice, the cross. Please, would you sit down and let me wash your feet? And Jeff said, Trent, I get it, but you know what I'd, you know what I'd be? You know how I'd feel? I'm like, how? He said a word I don't even know how to spell. I think it begins with an E. I'd be euphoric. I'm like, what? You're weird. Euphoric means jumping out of your skin, excited like Super Bowl, you know, last minute touchdown that wins the game. Euphoric. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, I'm dead serious. He said, Trent, pause for a second. Are you aware that Jesus wants to serve you? Are you, North Valley, aware that Jesus wants to serve you? You have this, if you're, if you're like me at all, and like an American religion at all, you believe that, that God's a little bit distant. He's a little bit dangerous. Fear, the beginning of all wisdom is fear of the Lord, right? And we forget the side where Jesus says in Matthew 11, the last paragraph, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. For I am a humble and gentle teacher. Take my yoke upon you. I will give you rest. What? Are you aware that Jesus wants to serve you? He laid down his life for you already. He's the one who says there's no greater love than this, than one who lays down his life for a friend, and he proved how much he loves you. He proves how much he declares you his friend, and he wants to serve you. Think on that for a second. And when I say serve, we misunderstand that. We, we pray like Jesus is our servant boy. We pray, hey, Jesus, good morning. I got a to-do list for you. Could you heal my mom and my dad? Could you help their marriage? Man, I really like that boat. I'm making stuff up. That's not one I say. Uh, 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 somebody is sick. I have this conflict going. I need you to step up and get with the program. We don't say it that way, but we create a checklist. Jesus already knows our thoughts before we even think them. And so just in my own personal life in the last year, there's been a total transformation. In the past... I would have said, hey, Jesus, Ryan's sick. I wouldn't say it this way, but our attitude, mine, get off your butt and heal him. I need you to heal him in Jesus' name. Hey, Jesus, I need you to heal him in Jesus' name. And Jesus is like, why are you talking to me and then using my name? We pray like religion, if you're not careful. So my prayer for Ryan last night and this morning has been, uh, Lord, thank you. You declare me your friend. I love you. I am euphoric inside that you created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and that you want to serve me, and that you love me. And so I can't heal Ryan. I have no power. I, I often wonder why you even ask us to pray for things that you know we're already thinking. I don't understand that fully. So I guess I'm just, if I have the ability to take Ryan and I just lay him at your feet, and if I could have my will, Lord, I would beg of you, if you're willing, heal him. Help him to get better quick. Use medical doctors, whatever it is. It's not a to-do to list, Jesus. I'll say that a lot. I'm just communicating to you, my friend and my Lord. It's a different, do you, do you hear the difference? And I'm not saying that like I'm doing that better than you pray because that's just something I've changed in my life. In 33 years of full-time ministry, just in the last couple months of my life, and it is profound 
how it's healed some stuff going on in my life, in my heart, right? And so I want to share that with you. Um, I kept saying the whole time I'm talking to you, don't forget to do this, don't forget to say this, don't forget. It'll come back to me and I'll, I'll stop and then you'll know what it was. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Ah, I just remembered what it was. So hold off on the question. Are you aware that if you are a follower of Jesus and Jesus meets you at the end and says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what the Bible says he will do immediately next? Do you remember? It says this, he will put on a servant, Jesus will put on a servant's apron, sit you down and serve you a meal. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't want to serve you. He says, the one who is the greatest must become the last. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. You know, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, serve. Let it be an example. Be humble, be gentle, be meek. All those things are Jesus, yet he created the sun and the moon and the stars. You don't have, we don't have some distant God who's a bit of a tyrant, a bit angry and grouchy, walking with the cane, a little slobber, maybe a little hair growing out of his nose and ears as he ages and gets grouchy. That's not Jesus. That's not the Father. That's not the Holy Spirit. Very personal, very intense in their love and kindness, saying, can I carry your burden with you? And so that's what this is all about. Let's get into this. Answer this question. What was the first sin Adam and Eve committed? Now, if you're in a typical Sunday school answer, this one comes out pretty quick. What is the first sin Adam and Eve? They bit of the forbidden fruit, right? We don't know is it an apple. Could have been an avocado. Could have been a mango. Man, what's your favorite fruit? Who knows what it was? We'll find out someday. Maybe it's a tomato. Is that a fruit? Or is it? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. What's the first sin they committed if that's not it? What happens in this scene that leads them to go disobey. What's the first sin? Because sin in a Greek word is hamartia, which means to miss the mark. To miss the mark, yeah, they missed the mark when they ate the fruit, disobedience. But they had something happen in their life that made them miss the mark that led to the outward behavior. Your physical action is not where the original sin resides. Their first sin is they began to accept false beliefs about who is God, and who they are personally. Satan walks onto the scene and says, did God really say that? It's like Satan coming in saying, hey, Adam and Eve, God's holding out on you. You can be just like him. All you got to do is believe that and act on it. Their first sin is a false belief. And so they actually act out on that. They begin to accept it. What should have they done in that moment? They should have gone to their creator who walked in their presence daily. And they should have said, hey, we got an issue. This angel of yours called Lucifer, he basically has come and he said that if we go take of that fruit, he's kind of saying you're holding out on us. That if we go do that, if we believe him and go do that, we'll be, we'll be like you. Or they should have at least paused because I guarantee it, God already said, it's in the scriptures. It says, let us create mankind in our image to be like us. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit are creating in plural. 
So we're already created in God's image. Adam and Eve are already created in His image. They should have said, hold on, Satan, what do you mean we'll be like him? We are like him. He's not holding out on us. But they just went ahead and acted out on it. And what entered their life the instant they acted out on it? For the first time in their life, they experienced shame and guilt. Let me give you the definitions of shame and guilt real quick. They experienced fear because what did they do? Run and hide, right? And this is where God shows up on the scene. God walks into the garden and he asks the infamous question. What did he ask? Anybody trivia in here, Bible trivia? Where are you? Do you think God didn't know? Is he not omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing everywhere? He knew exactly. So why did he ask such a weird question? Where are you? Was he saying, man, I created Adam and Eve as the best hide-and-seek players in all of the world. They've duped me. Where are you? He's asking them to get them to think, am I as Adam and Eve? Are you? Have you gone from God-reliant to self-reliant? Hamartia, to miss the mark is to create a false belief that you can do this on your own. You know what false beliefs are? They're fill in the blanks. I am not fill in the blank. If I can get real vulnerable with you, a lot of people have no idea that I'm an introvert, that I absolutely experience extreme amounts of anxiety and fear internally. And the way I hide that, and I'll get to the process of why, I hide that by promoting myself and protecting myself. You promote and protect. It's also known as fight or flight. And I'll talk through here before we're done the biophysical brain activity that happens and how God created it that caused us to go into out of what is called our, just get this now. I told you I'm going to be all over. Stay, stay up to tension. You'll be like, where is he headed? Prefrontal cortex. Did God create the brain? Yes or no? God created the brain. Did God create the brain to heal? Can PTSD be healed? Can people who believe that they're, they're born an alcoholic or born a certain other way and whatever identity they have, does he believe those brain problems can be healed? Absolutely. Today will help us understand absolutely why, all using the context of Scripture and how God designed, des desired for it to be. So the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala are the two parts of the brain that I want to talk about briefly. Prefrontal cortex, let me say it this way. I've, I've been in the uh, privileged, terrifying position twice to be trusted to unplug somebody from life support. It's, it's, uh, it's not fun. These are people that I had friendships with, especially one, and I told my friend, I said, uh, you know, when we do this, this was agreed on way earlier, uh, if we have to do this, I said, I'm gonna be within inches of you when you breathe your last and when your heart beats its last because we're such good friends. We trust each other. I want to watch if I can actually, if we can actually see the soul leave the body. Weird question, but I'm weird that way, all right? And so he agreed. And so heart's beaten. It has not redlined yet. And at, at the end, many times I thought, okay, he's gone. He's died because it'd be one minute between beeps. That's eternity when you're sitting there waiting, thinking, and then it go beep, and then may go a minute 30. It's not really breathing. You're like, what's happening? So I'm watching this, and I know it's close, so I'm just watching, and I'm just kind of guessing about three minutes before his heart went red line. 
I saw the body, I saw his body, even like his face, just cave a little. Just cave a little. Medicine will tell you that they can prove, I don't know the exact number, 99.6% of the body, they can tell you these are the chemicals, these are the atoms, these are the, all the muscle, but they can't figure out what's the remaining half whatever percent. I'm convinced that's the soul. And the more I'm learning, the more I see Scripture, the soul can reside in the body, but I think it truly lives and thrives in two locations of our physical body, the prefrontal cortex of the brain and our heart. You know the heart muscle is different than any other muscle in the body, right? There's something special about it. And the prefrontal cortex, this is where, let me ask you this question. What is the first description that we give of God based on his first action that we have recorded in Scripture? What is the first action God did in recorded Scripture? Created. So the prefrontal cortex, I believe, according to Scripture, and I'll read some Bible, I will read a Bible passage in a minute about the mind. I think this is where, and, and doctors will say this, this is where creativity happens. When you're healthy, not stressed out, you're feeling a little artsy-fartsy and you're wanting to draw or sing in the shower or you're just like, life's good, you are fully living in your prefrontal cortex, okay? Hold that thought because in a minute, I'm gonna talk about how that gets shut down and what happens. So I told you earlier that many of you have no idea that I have extreme anxiety that I deal with. I have fears. Jeff and Beth McDaniel helped me absolutely conquer those by walking me through some of these materials. And it's fascinating. For the first time in my life, you remember the Spider-Man movie where the black, gooey, stringy stuff takes over him? For the first time, I felt like God removed that from my heart, that I had begun to live in freedom. The Bible tells us, do not copy the customs and behaviors of the world, but be renewed by the transforming of your mind. Jeff and Beth helped me understand that I had some false identities, so I'm going to walk you through this conflict map. This is what I'll send you. If, if you send me an email, I'll just attach it and send it. I'll probably end up sending it to Ryan, too, and you can ask him to share it, but he might be an information hog. I'm not, and so he may keep it until you know. I'm just kidding. You have an awesome pastor. He'll share it with you. But um, So let's go through this, and I'll, I'll put the rest of this craziness that I'm talking to you together. Follow me. All external conflict. Step one on the map. We're going to go right here. All external conflict. Think for a minute. What is external conflict? A couple examples to get us all thinking creatively. When I'm fighting with my wife, that's external conflict. When you have a toxic work environment and every time you go in there, there's just external conflict. When something doesn't go your way, you had to stand in line too long at Starbucks and you're just about to lose it because 30 seconds of your life has been lost because you are so important. Is that just me on occasion that feels that way? That's external conflict. So follow the roadmap here, the conflict map. External conflict, all external conflict in your life originates from internal conflict. Hear that? Think about right now, it's very popular to be talking about bullies, what's happening in society and people who behave as bullies. They beat up other people. They beat them up with their words physically or whatever they do. Bullies, right? It'll help you understand that that bully who's creating external conflict, all external conflicts 
originate with internal conflict based on fear. Fear. When you experience fear, proof, biological, physiobiological proof, doctors will agree with this. When you experience fear, your prefrontal cortex, where you're your most creative, most healthy, most fun, the true you, your true identity, it shuts down for 20 minutes and it goes into fight or flight. Why? To save your life. The amygdala kicks in in the back of the brain. The amygdala is where you have fight or flight, or I call it protect or promote. So I just shared with you. Well, let me finish this statement. The sat Satan is the father of all lies. External conflict originates from internal conflict due to fear based on false beliefs. So back to me personally, when I say I had it, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, and the way I covered that up, fight or flight, because I was living in my amygdala, you can't be creative when you're in your fight or flight mode. It's just trying to keep you alive and keep you existing. So every day you go into work and you continue to experience false beliefs that lead to fear, you're just average, mediocre, just staying alive, barely existing. You're not adding creative value to anything. In your marriage, if you're living in fear, you're missing out because you've got some false beliefs that create fear that lead to internal conflict that lead to external fighting. The conflict map will help you solve this. We're going to get a fix to it. So up here, for me, growing up in an extremely abusive family, I was one of those kids in kindergarten that had to go with my mom to the grocery store and hear her explain the lies of why she had bruises all over her body, falling downstairs. I was the kindergarten kid, first grade kid that had to get up every morning and make sure mom's alive, make sure the tables and the chairs are picked up and set up and the broken glass because my stepdad was an absolute violent, mean drunk. That's what I grew up in. So the prefrontal cortex and the brain development of what I call or what Scripture would even call false beliefs. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, healing false beliefs in your mind. My false beliefs growing up in that would say, I'm not wanted. I'm not worthy. I'm a pain in the neck. I just cause problems. You will begin to identify your false beliefs by filling in the blank, I am blank. And here's what's encouraging to me and discouraging. The easier ones to fix are the ones where you say, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not liked, I'm not good, good looking enough, uh, my wife wishes I had hair. You know, all of that is what? Fears that lead to internal conflict, that lead to external conflict based off of insecurities because I have internal conflict going on. A bully is actually living in fear and all he's doing is attacking and protecting himself by beating others up so he doesn't get hurt first. That's all a bully is. We get so mad and we want to beat him up more when what they need is to be taught how to self-identify as loved and wanted and worthy and smart and beautiful people. They need help with identity training, and all we want to do is pile on more fear and anger and shame and guilt. They deserve it. They should go to jail. We hate them. We just have this vicious downward toilet bowl going on in America where we're so nasty and so angry with one another. All we're doing is fueling the devil's lies of false beliefs. Are you aware that your false identities, your false beliefs, get secured almost in concrete by the time you're age 12? 
And if Jesus says that the devil is the father of all lies, there is no truth in him, you can predict what is his strategy. He wants you before the age of 12 to deal with abuse, trauma, fear, begin to believe that you're not worthy, you're not wanted, or you can, as I said, those are the easier ones to fix. The other ones that are hard to fix are the ones where you fill in the blank, I am the man. I am like a god. I am CEO of the world. Nobody can stop me. Oh, man, you're a jerk. You're a pain in the neck to fix. It's going to require a lot of humility for you. The ones where the rest of us reside, I'm not worthy. I'm not wanted. So when I feel like I'm not worthy, I'm not wanted, I'm a pain in the neck, you know how my fight or flight worked? You protect or you promote in spirituality. When I have a false identity that I'm not worthy and I'm not wanted, I protect it and I promote it. How? I'll step up on stage and I'm going to be the best preacher. I'm going to keep them on the edge of their seats. I'm going to be the one doing all the talking. That keeps them at arm's distance so they don't ask too many questions and, ex and, and expose my fear and my anxiety. I'd been doing that for 30 years. I got really good at it. It doesn't mean what I was teaching was wrong. It just means the stress and the anxiety is literally killing me. High blood pressure, issues like that, that affects our body when we live and reside in false identities, false beliefs. And so, what are your false beliefs? First thing you have to do, and Americans are terrible at it, is you have to start by stating or writing down tonight as many words that describe negative emotions. Jealousy, hate, anger, insecurity. The average American can quote about nine before they freeze up, eight or nine, if they're lucky, six to nine. There's more than 300 words in the English language that define negative emotions. Americans are so in fight or flight mode, we don't even want to learn vocabulary that defines negative emotions. And if you can't define it, you can't fix it. The, the devil is brilliant in how he does all this. And he'll keep you living in false beliefs, negative emotions, which causes you every day to live in fear. It takes 20 minutes after you experience a fear for that fear to reside, get out of the amygdala, 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 amygdala whatever, however you say it, I can't remember now, and get back into the prefrontal cortex where God resides with you in his soul and in your heart, where you're your creative best. So how do we do that? How do we get out of that? So we go through external conflict originates from internal conflict due to fear. By the way, are, are you aware that you're only born with two fears? All other fears in your life are learned. I'm a three-month-old, my first-time grandpa, you know, little Rhodes Renner. And I was holding him just yesterday, and I thought, I'm going to test this out, much to the dismay of my son. Fear. The only two fears you are born with are the fear of falling. So when I take roads and I just go, what do his arms do? And Riley's like, he knows what I'm doing. I'm using my grandson as a spiritual experiment, right? So that makes it okay. And the other one, I actually did it earlier. When I walked in, I was like, hey, Rhodes. When he heard the loud sound, what did he do? He jumped. My son looks at me like, you are not getting any brownie points with my wife, dude. That's what he said. You were born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. You want to know the definition of fear according to the conflict map? Fear 
always causes us to protect or promote ourselves. Get this. This is going to hurt if you're a fearful person. Fear always causes us to protect and promote ourselves. Fear is the most extreme expression of self-focus. Fear kidnaps us from community by using guilt and shame. Have you ever thought in your life that fear is the most extreme expression of selfishness, of self-focus? You're only born with two fears. What are you afraid of? And your fears originate in false beliefs. I will not fly. I mean, you just start picking on some of the lighter ones that cause people deep anxiety and fear. I'm not making fun of them. All fears are very serious business. The devil wants you to keep swimming in your fears because it keeps you living in your false beliefs. And here's the dangerous, most dangerous thing of it all. You know this phrase? Finish this phrase. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Have you ever thought that God only speaks, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit only speak in the language of truth? So if you're in this room and you're like, man, I've never felt God's presence. He's so far away. He must be a distant, kind of an uncaring God. All of a sudden, the father of all lies, Satan, he's like, ah, I got you right where I want you. You think he's distant. You think he's uncaring. You think he doesn't care enough about you. And, and by the way, you're not worth it anyway. You're really not worthy. You're not smart enough. All the false identity Lie, fear, statements. And it keeps you hindered in all of that. You following where this is going a little bit? And so Jesus comes into the scene and says, you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Understand this. If you will practice a little bit of what I'm talking about, you will begin to experience the presence of Jesus in your prayer time. There's a thing that's this practice, and psychologists and counselors and therapists do it all the time. Christians are afraid of that stuff because we have such boxed-in, closed minds, and the devil's got us right where he wants us. He doesn't want us to think about how psychologists, therapists, and counselors are just ahead of us. They're just using stuff that God already created anyway. And so you can literally, the, the, the biophysical body, what you imagine, follow me, this is, this is different, what you imagine in your brain creatively affects the body as if you were physically doing it yourself. So Jesus says this. He says, you have heard that if you commit adult, that it's a sin to commit adultery, right? But I say, if you even lust for somebody, what are you doing internally? So when you experiment with, let's say, drugs or skydiving or whatever it is that makes you fun, this creates dopamine. The chemical in your body called dopamine just gets you juiced and adrenaline gets you juiced. You can get addicted to that. And that's why we just like, oh, give me the next, give me the next, give me the next on our phones. It's a dopamine effect. And so what you experience in your brain, your body chemically responds to. This is just fact medically, and it's a shame that the medical and the psychological world have used it, but Christianity does not. This is all spiritual relationship with Jesus conversation. So the reality in your life is that you have to learn how to take that dopamine, and you've got to figure out how to put it in a different direction and control it and heal it with truth, not with faults. 
So follow this map with me. We've got to keep going through here. External conflict originates with internal conflict due to fear because of false beliefs. Now, what you have to do when you have this false belief, and every single one of you have a false belief. Before we're done here, we're going to spend a little time in communion, but we're not there yet. And I'm going to ask you to confess a false belief to Jesus. Here's how I'm going to encourage you to do it. I want you to creatively in your brain, when we do communion later, I want you in your mind, you can do this in seconds, go to your favorite place. You're like, my what? Your favorite place. For me, you know what my favorite place is? When Jeff asked me to go to my favorite place, I'm like, okay, give me a minute. I've not heard of this before. And I, and I go, are you a wacko? He's like, no, I'm not a wacko. Trust me in this renter, you know? Go to your favorite place. For me, my favorite place is, and you can't let me influence you, but because Jeff on the spot said, Trent, are you there? Describe it to me. And I thought, man, this is weird. This is out of my comfort zone. And, he's, and then, so I go, okay. I'm sitting on a white sandy beach in one of those chairs that's automatically laid back. You know what I'm talking about? And I can see the blue water. It's got turquoise color to it. Man, there's just a little breeze. I hear the waves. I can see seagulls. I hear people behind me just kind of in the distance. He said, okay. And then he says, now, Trent, I want you to look around, and I want you to recognize unconditional love is present. And I thought, that's weird. And I talked to Jeff afterwards. Because of his training, military stuff, he doesn't use the word Jesus and when I say, hey, Jesus is present in that scene, you automatically have preconceived ideas because we're terrible about this in our world. That You've got a picture of Jesus hanging on the wall with blonde flowing hair and blue eyes. I'm like, Grah. that is not how Jesus looked. He's a Jewish man, right? From Israel, back in the day, dark skin, dark eyes. So he says, unconditional love is present. Do you see it? Describe him. And I talked to him about it. I talked to Jeff about it while we're going through this. And he says, now, Trent, I want you to confess. You don't have to do it out loud. I want you to confess some false beliefs, you know. Um, I didn't share this with the first service. Uh, I'll say this one to you. This is very vulnerable of me. Some deep healing I've gone through. So my stepdad, my mom, went through a divorce after 44 years of marriage, just in the last five years. And... Uh, I won't give you reasons, but he's done some very evil things. I'm very angry. I was, I was very angry, very bitter, very unforgiving as a pastor, as a preacher, as a follower of Jesus. Unacceptable. And what I recognize is killing me, the stress on my heart. I could feel it like just, right? But I didn't know it. I thought that was power. Oh, that anger feels good. Oh, I want to conquer. I want to defeat him. I want to kick his, you know what? That's not godly. That's not power. That's a false identity and a false belief that Satan's got me trapped that I live in. And so I had to confess some things, and I'm going to give you this quick in definitions. When you are in your favorite place, which is just prayer time, don't get weird by thinking favorite place. You have a place in your mind you've been where there are no negative emotions attached to it. Just go there. It'll help you connect with Jesus because he's there too. Some people where you've been a victim to rape, trauma, abuse, other things, you probably first are going to have to go to your traumatic place, and you're going to have to experience the victimization, all the details of what you went through. You need to visualize them. You do every day already, and then you have to start looking for Jesus because he's there. He was there the whole freaking time. 
But you're not living in your true identity because you've become a victim. I am an alcoholic. I am a rape victim. I am a false identities. Man, it makes me angry. That is not who God made you. It's not how he identified you. He identified you as a follower of Jesus, but that's only your last name. You do this enough and spend enough time with Jesus, he'll give you your first name. And it's not Trent. He'll call you by Trent. But every single one of us have an original identity, a name that God has given you. 100% convinced of this. This is not weird stuff. This is reality speaking language. You know what mine is? It's weird for me to share it with you. Creative refiner. All my life, I've gone into situations and I can maximize things. I can go in, I come into North Valley Church and I can go, hmm, if they would just do this, whoo, they go to the next level. It's what I do as a full-time job. I just spent eight months in Michigan that church that was dying. Got finished with them, did some creative refining, getting, getting their act together. Just left a couple weeks ago. They're already doubled in their attendance. I'm excited. The church was gonna be dead. I leave Thursday for a church in Texas, a church that's 150 years old, started in 1874. So I'm talking some, spending some time with God and I'm confessing my false identity. You wanna know what it is? At first, God, I couldn't get connected with him. I couldn't find God in my creative space, my favorite place. And Jeff said, hey man, you probably got some things you need to confess. You're believing some false things. So what are they? And I'm using one, there's a bunch. I spent time talking those out with Jeff, with God, in my own private time. One of them was this, if I'm referring to my stepdad, this is bad, forgive me. This is just me being real. I basically went to Jesus. I said, Jesus, and and he's like, you got some things to confess. Well, what is confession? Confession is not, uh, I am a sinner. I committed this sin, whatever, fill in the blank. There's a million of them. That's not confession. If you get arrested for murder and you go into the cops and you sit across the interrogation table and you just say, yes, I committed murder, I confess, They're going to be frustrated. They're going to want to know with what, when, what time, how, what do you really believe? What caused you to do this? What was your motive? God's the same way. He only speaks in truth. So I had to go to God and God was just breaking me down with whys. And I'm like, I am angry. Yeah, but why? My dad, he used to abuse her. Now he cheats on her. My stepdad. Yes. Okay. What does that have to do with you? Well, I hate him for it. And I'm just crying. I hate him for it. Well, it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? This is Jesus just, he's not audibly saying it, but I'm telling you, he's there. He wants to talk to you this way. And we as followers of Jesus got to start believing he will speak to you internally like this. If you just get there and quit living in false identities. Well, what do you mean you hate him? Well, I hate him so bad, I believe he deserves to go to hell. And it just like hit me. You know what Jesus said on that spot to me? He said, do you really believe anybody deserves to go to hell? I just started crying and I'm like, no. He says, why don't you give me all that bitterness and unforgiveness and anger? And, I, in my, and I'm sitting there and I just give it to him. And what is, Jesus will never take something from you that he doesn't replace it with truth. And the truth is it's okay to be angry. The truth is, I need you to call. You don't need to forgive him for his sin because we're going to have to work on that. It's not your job to forgive him of his sins, but it is your job to apologize for behaving in a way that you and I both know is not like me. When I did all that, I cannot express the healing that goes on here. 
So what are your false identities that you live in? When you're really burdened with something, you just keep asking why, take it to God. In fact, the next day I walk up to Jeff and I'm like, hey, I got some questions about this thing. God's telling me I need to call and apologize for my behavior, but, but what if my stepdad does this? And what if my mom finds out about this? And he's like, whoa, 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 Ritter. Everything you're saying is based in fear. Remember, you're only born with two fears. And you know what he did? He literally, if one of you guys are standing here and you're me, he said, Trent, let's just go to Jesus. There's people in the room. He's like, let's go to Jesus. And I'm like, okay, that's not what I wanted. Just give me my answers. He's like, no, 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 no. Stop going to people for your answers. Go to Jesus. And he's like, hey, Jesus, I'm here with Trent, as you know. He laughed. He says, Trent's got some fears that are just killing him based in false beliefs. Would you just spend some time with him quietly? I'm just going to stand here with Trent while he talks to you. And there was no talking that went on verbally. I just spent some time talking. Jesus showed up, and he's like, hey, you got to keep releasing this stuff. And I got the answers I was looking for. There's great safety in a council of advisors. Is Jesus at least one of your advisors? Or do you keep going to humans who also live in false beliefs to get your solutions? So you go to Jesus Whatever works for you, have a conversation with him. Literally imagine yourself giving him your greatest burden, your biggest lies, a big one that men deal with. Give him names you have been called in your life that you hate. Friends call it to you, whatever it is, and you just hate it. It creates insecurity, it burdens you, it scares you, you hate it. And let him, you give him that name, he'll give you your true name. He'll identify you if you spend time with him, right? And so here's the deal, back to your first name. Most of you, when I say, hey, what, what, how do you identify as a follower of Jesus? Well, most of us would say, I am a child of God. I'll say, yes, but that's your last name. That's your last name. We all have the same last name, children of God. But what is your first name? If, if, you, if you as followers of Jesus say, you all have the same name, child of God, that would be like me introducing my family, my wife and my four kids. Hey, I'd like to introduce you to my wife, Renner. And my first daughter, Renner, and my two boys in the middle, Renner and Renner, and my youngest daughter, Renner. God doesn't speak to you when you're using your last name, and he definitely doesn't speak to you using your false identity. If you've been going through hell in this life and you feel like God is a long ways away, distant, and uncaring, he's not. He's been there the whole time talking to you, but you just can't understand his language. You need a guy like myself who just comes in and says, or like Ryan, a translator who says, hey, let's translate for a minute. Let me help you identify with God's voice. And as long as you continue to believe that your stepdad belongs in hell, you think you're, that Trent, you're going to be able to hear God's voice and understand God's voice of what he wants to do? He speaks only in the language of truth. He only speaks to your true identity of how he created you. So if God feels far away, you got to get the self identity, false identities out, confess to him. And all of a sudden, God shows up. You'll read the Bible differently about identity. So let's follow through with this and wrap it up. External conflict originates from internal conflict because of fear. Fear produces guilt and shame in our lives, produces more fear, self-focus, I'm afraid. Because why? What are you afraid of? You're only supposed to be afraid of falling and loud noises. Every other fear in your life is learned based on a false belief. Now, does that mean you should never experience fear? Good question. No. Fear should just never be in the driver's seat. Did Jesus ever experience fear? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? 
He's like, Father, please take this cup of suffering away. He knows he's going to go through brutality, torture. He's so full of anxiety and fear, blood, the stress breaks his capillaries and blood comes to the surface of his skin. But he never made decisions with fear in the driving seat. Fear is supposed to be over here in your passenger seat. Fear is what tells you, don't put your hand on the stove, dummy, right? Fear is a navigator, but it can never drive. Maybe somebody was right when they sang, Jesus, take the wheel, right? Maybe she's way ahead of me in understanding all of this. So you're never getting rid of fear. Confession is you confessing your false belief. You're what you think is truth. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not. And letting God replace those. Repentance is God taking the truth and replacing it. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the customs and behaviors of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Confess your false beliefs. Let God, repentance, replace your false beliefs with true beliefs. And baptism is you every day walking into your fears that you're going to experience and say, oh, no, 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 you don't get the driver's seat, buddy. Thank you for the advice. Thank you for some wisdom. I hear you, but fear will never rule my life again. For I am more than a child of God. I know I'm a creative refiner. And when I learn my true identity at 53, freaking three years old, you young guys and ladies, you figure out your true identity early and that whatever identity is, if it's false, you heal it by letting Jesus heal it, you'll be way ahead of me when you're 53. External conflict resides in internal conflict based in fear because of false beliefs. Meet with God, give him your false beliefs. This is where we're at on the map. Let him replace, let him, false beliefs, meet God. Let him replace your false beliefs with truth. Truth then lets you live because you got out of fear. It gets out of your amygdala and now you're back into your prefrontal cortex where courage, fearlessness, creativity resides, which leads to internal peace. You know who you are, not what the world tells you who you are. And then when external conflict does come every freaking minute of every day, you're able as a man or a woman of internal peace to say, I can bring some creative solutions to our external conflict here because my internal peace gives me strength and courage. And therefore, I'm living in my prefrontal cortex where my soul resides in my heart. Love the Lord with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your heart, right? Mm-hmm. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, I need two more messages to finish it out. But if you want my 13 pages, you'll be going through like page three. It says, end of message one. I took you through bits and pieces of all three messages. If you would like that, I will gladly PDF it to you in an email. That's why I said send me an email. Trent at returnhope.com. Read this stuff yourself. Use it however you want. I've got a book series coming out of three books. It's, that's my introduction. This is my introduction. My book series is about fun. This is what you should know and what you should do. And I realized I need to help people be first before I teach them know and do. And I can't wait for that to come out. Hopefully Ryan will let me come back here and sell like 500, 600 books, right? I'm just kidding. So back to fear and we need to close. Band, get up here. I know it's last service. I've gone way long. But... If you miss a few minutes of lunch, I think you'll be okay. 
It's a false belief that you're going to starve to death. You need to replace that with truth. You see where this goes? So every minute, here's what's fun about it. Every minute of your life, when external conflict hits you, think of that. Man, I just made eye contact with you. I see pain in young people's eyes. It sucks to be a young person today. The pressure you guys have to deal with is a hundred times more than, than I did at 53. You got that social media and you got the pressure of people around you and this image to keep. Listen, when that external conflict hits you, you have the ability. You have the ability to say, whoa, 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 why all the external conflict? What's going on inside of me? You can do this in fractions of a second in the moment if Jesus is with you and you know he is. What's this internal conflict I got going on? Why am I afraid? I must believe something because I'm only supposed to be afraid of falling and loud noises. And so Jesus, talk to me here real quick. What is it I believe that's causing me to want to attack, causing me to seek revenge, causing me to want to commit suicide, causing me to want to whatever the blank is, all those crappy things. Let him replace it with truth. You are more than a child of God. You are my masterpiece. You're my prized possession. I want to spend eternity with you. I want to wash your feet. I want to sit you down in heaven and give you a meal, have dinner with you. Now take that identity and go out into the world and love the Lord and love your neighbor, right? That's what this is about. This is discipleship at its greatest influence. And if you'll get that, all sin starts with false beliefs. I have a nephew that's addicted to drugs right now and he's in jail. And his mom called me and said, Trent, can I give him your number? Can he call you? He's not going to call me. But if he does, I said, I said Mom, I need you to know this. This is what I'm going to tell him. I'm making up different names here. John, don't you stop doing those drugs. You take those drugs, you put them in between your toes and your veins, you drink them in, whatever you need to do till it makes you so sick that those drugs have taught you You have a false belief about yourself and that you think you want and need those drugs. And until you get that figured out, you're going to continue to fall off the wagon. You're going to go back to your drugs. I'm done, dude. Do them all you want until you learn who you are and until that drug teaches you. But more important, if you listen, I want to tell you about the Lord. I want to tell you how much he loves you. And I'll replace all those crappy false beliefs you have with truth. You can do that wherever you go in a matter of seconds. And when you do, you're going to find yourself living in the truth and the truth will set you free. You'll drive different. You won't experience road rage. This is personal. This is me talking just over the last couple months. You know, all of a sudden you're at a peace. You're road rage and when people drive like bonkers around you and you get all fired up and angry, you got some serious issues, false beliefs you need to work out, right? And I could go on for hours. Here's what we're going to do. Let's take communion. Um, I'm going to pray. And while you're taking communion, I challenge you to do what I said. It's kind of weird, kind of different. Go to your favorite place. And that'll grow as as you practice it. You can't do any of this perfect. You'll get better at it over time. Do it every day. Go to your favorite place. And imagine Jesus is there, because he is. And you give him, in this setting today, uh, you give him whatever your greatest burden is right now. I want you, when you're praying, when, you're, when you have these elements in each cup, you come up, if you're new here, you grab a stack, there's a piece of wafer in the bottom, 
and the upper cup is juice. That represents the body and the blood of Jesus. You know that friend of yours, Jesus, who wants to serve you and he already has by dying for you when you should have died? That's what communion is all about. When you take this, you remember that. And while you're there remembering that, would you say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I need to give you, I'm carrying a huge burden right now. And I want to give it to you. And over this next week, can we talk it out? Will you replace that burden? He might replace it right now on the spot. I don't know. You're going to have that talk with him. But you're, I just challenge you to go there during this communion. We'll take a few minutes. Let me pray. We'll take a few minutes for you to meet with God in your favorite place. Describe it, you know. And then look for Jesus. He'll be there. Start talking to him. Do it quietly or internally, please. And have a conversation with him. And then partake of the elements and the band will close us with a great song. Before I preached, we sang the song, I Surrender All. Do you really or are you just singing lip service to Jesus? Do you really surrender all? Because I promise you, you still have false beliefs in your life that you're afraid to surrender to him. And I hope during communion, you'll surrender him. He'll replace him with truth. You'll walk out of here better than you were when you came in. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we love you. God, I so, I just so thank you for this church. I thank you for Ryan, the staff, and their leadership. Thank you that you've called them to be translators momentarily. Helping these people in this room connect with you personally. Lord, I pray everybody in this room would connect so personally that you wouldn't have to go to the pastoral staff as often because you're so connected with the Creator, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Jesus, that's our hope. Jesus, thank you that you're going to meet us at the gates someday. You're going to sit us down and serve us a meal. Help us live accordingly. Help us live free. As we take these elements, Jesus, we just bow before you and say we're humbled and honored, almost speechless by the beating, the crucifixion, the blood that you had to shed so that we could be forgiven. We identify as people who are loved by you. We identify as people who you want to serve. And we're going to walk out of here, God, our challenge today, walk out of here and be just like you, wanting to serve, wanting to be friends of others. And help that change in our life be noticed and that someday in the near future, each person in this room will be doing a baptism of somebody, Jesus, that they've led to you. That's what you ask of us. So thank you. We love you, Jesus. May you be honored in our quiet time here. Jesus, I ask that you'd show up in each person. I don't know how you do it, but each one of these people in this room at this very moment as they take communion, Show up and have a conversation with each one of them. Thank you that you have that ability. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for the honor to be able to teach, to be able to learn, and to be your follower. Jesus.